John's Gospel often gives us a very different perspective on Jesus' ministry than the other three do. One of the most stark differences is the night Jesus was betrayed. Where the other Gospel writers describe the Last Supper, John focuses on Jesus' actions in washing his disciples' feet. Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly message from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and we hope that the Holy Spirit speaks clearly to you as you listen to this message today. This week we conclude a brief sermon series entitled All Things New, in which we explore the new things that Jesus introduces as told to us in John's Gospel. In this, the third and final sermon preached this week, Brett Robinson, our student pastor here at GBC, makes three observations about Jesus' actions at the Last Supper and their implications for us. The reading tonight is from John 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. Though not, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, good evening, church. How are you all this evening? The, uh, the claim that Jesus makes all things new is quite an attractive claim, isn't it? Um, in reflecting over my own life, uh, I can see a whole heap of brokenness. Uh, I, I can see disappointments. I can see uh, moments of failure. I can see hurt and pain. And the thing that really attracts me to who Jesus is and, and his ministry is the hope that he provides. A, a hope that in him and, in, and through him that all things will be made new. And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. You know, people who are in need, those who are sick, those who are lame and blind, those who are seeking freedom, those who are longing for hope, they all come to him. And through their faith, he heals, 
He liberates and he forgives. And they are changed in a way that allows them to live the rest of their lives differently. And we see this time and time again throughout Jesus' ministry. And, and it reaches a crescendo, a, a moment in his ministry as we are leading up to the passage that we're having a look at tonight where Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And you can imagine that this is the ultimate rubbernecking situation ever in the history of mankind. The fact that someone has raised someone else from the dead really got uh, uh, tongues wagging. Wait, did, did Jesus do... Jesus did what? I've got to see this. Hey, did you hear that Jesus raised someone from the dead? You, you've got to come and see this. Come, come and check for yourself to see if Jesus actually raised someone from the dead. And so people came flocking. They came from all over to see if Jesus had in fact raised Lazarus from the dead. And when they saw with their own eyes, they were amazed. And, and so this scene that happens just explodes in front of Jesus' eyes. And it's this scene before the Passover festival. And so as Jesus leaves Lazarus' home and he heads into Jerusalem for Passover, there's this celebration. People are throwing palm branches on the ground. Jesus is placed onto a donkey and he rides into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel. This is fever pitch. And in this moment, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says... I need you to know something. Soon I will die, but it's okay. That's what I have come here for. You know, and as the festival approaches, as Passover approaches, there's this atmosphere, this electric atmosphere. And in this moment, Jesus sits down with his disciples and they share one last meal, Passover meal. It's the meal that we know as the Last Supper, where Jesus breaks the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. And then he takes the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. It's the Eucharist, communion, we celebrated this last week at church. It's a church sacrament that has been celebrated for over 2,000 years. And it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for all humanity, offering each person forgiveness and reconciliation with God. A hope that in Jesus all things will be made new. And it points to the resurrection, the life that we have in Jesus, now and forevermore. But there's a problem. There's a problem. You see, John never mentions anything about the Eucharist. In John's Gospel, he never mentions the breaking of the bread or the giving of the cup. The other three Gospels do, but John doesn't. And it got me thinking, did, did John miss the memo on something here? Has John missed something? 
After all, this is a sacrament that the church has been celebrating for over 2,000 years. No, instead, John does not even mention this, but rather he tells this story of foot washing. This smelly and uh, kind of awkward situation of foot washing. And you can imagine the disciples in this moment going, um, no, no thanks, it'll be right, we'll pass on this. And at first glance, we can actually catch a whiff that Jesus is obviously teaching his disciples something about servanthood and how to act. But there's more going on than meets the eye in this situation You see, footwear in Jesus' day was, well, pretty basic. You either walked around barefoot or you had sandals. That was a pretty open-air policy. Uh, They didn't have enclosed shoes. And so, naturally, people would get dusty. And so, foot washing was customary within their society. It's kind of like when we have visitors come over to our house. We, We offer to take their coat. We ask them if they would like a drink and... We say, would you like to play Monopoly? And uh, it's this customary thing that is part of their culture. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus over to his house and doesn't even offer the opportunity for Jesus to have his feet washed. And Jesus calls him out for it too. Talk about awkward. Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not even give me any water to wash my feet. But here she is uh, with, uh, washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. There is this cultural expectation and custom of foot washing within Jesus' society. But we can add to this also the very fact that uh, transport in Jesus' day was pretty much Uh, livestock pulling carts. And so on their footpaths and on their roads, uh, these areas were frequented by livestock and animals. And so apart from just being dusty, well, we might say that uh, feet became soiled. And, you know, just like a pooey nappy, no one wants to change them, but they need to be changed. And so not only was there this custom of foot washing, but foot washing was actually something that was a necessity. It was hygienic. It needed to be done. Which brings me to my last point here, is that if you didn't wash your own feet, the only time that somebody else would wash someone else's feet was if it was done by a slave. In wealthy households, if you visited them they would have their slaves come and wash your feet. Foot washing was never done by peers, and it most certainly was not done by anyone who was your superior. So what is it that John is really showing us within this scene? Well, John is showing us that through humbling himself, we see the true character of Jesus. It's this upside-down nature of God's kingdom that Jesus is representing and showing here. As king, Jesus is being self-sacrificial, 
It's the first will be last and the last will be first. And in verse 15, Jesus calls his disciples to do the same. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And this scene that John shares with us here of the Last Supper actually harmonises the entire Last Supper scene. On one hand, we have communion, a reminder of who Jesus is and what he has already done for us on the cross. And on the other hand, we have foot washing, a reminder of what he is calling his disciples to do. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are not called to remember without action, but we are also not called to action without remembering the promises that we have in what has already been done for us. The sacrament of communion and the commissioning of a servant-hearted action and discipleship are in harmony with one another and they go hand in hand. So as we look at this passage this evening and the call that it places on us as we participate with servant-hearted service, what, what observations can we make from this passage as we participate with God? Well, the first observation is obedience. When Jesus goes to wash, his, to wash Peter's feet and Peter rejects Jesus and he says, no, no, you shouldn't wash my feet. And if we're honest here, well, Peter's in the right. Peter has every right within their culture to reject Jesus' advances here. A teacher should never wash the feet of his students. And so Peter is right. It is not how we do it in our culture. And yet Jesus in this moment is challenging the cultural norm. Jesus is challenging the status quo. And he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so the question then remains is, well, what is Peter going to do? Is Peter going to go against the cultural norms of their society and be obedient to Jesus? Well, Jesus, uh, Peter responds, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Don't you just love that excitement and enthusiasm that Peter brings? Well, well, just wash all of me then. But Jesus responds quite cryptically in this moment and he says, ah, whoa, 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 easy there, tiger. Not quite like that. Those who have had a bath only need to have their feet washed. Their whole body is already clean and you are clean. Now, Jesus is not commenting on Peter's hygiene in this moment here. Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Now, the, for the followers of Jesus... As followers of Jesus, we are washed and saved by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. However, as we follow him in our daily lives, he continues to wash us through teaching, through training, through correcting, developing and strengthening us. And so the question is, are we willing to be obedient and allow God to be at work in our lives. You know, only those who are willing to be obedient to Jesus have a part with him and, and only those 
who listen and obey his instructions. Even when this goes against cultural norms, do we truly experience growth and maturity in our faith? And this can be hard to hear because, well, we like to be in control, don't we? I like to be in control. And the Bible is full of people who want to be in control. And within the culture that we live in, it is not a cultural norm to be servant-hearted towards others. For us to truly participate with what God is doing, we need to be like Peter here and be willing to be obedient to God, even if God's instructions go against the cultural norms of our own society. The second observation is one of humility. We can see how Jesus lowered himself to that of a slave in washing uh, his disciples' feet. And there's this really interesting juxtaposition that's going on here. You see, on, on one hand, we have the celebration of Passover. It's, it's where the Israelites, the Jews, are celebrating the moment that God had liberated them from bondage in Egypt. And the Passover festival was a wonderful celebration. And yet on the other hand, we see Jesus, the king, lowering himself to the position of a slave and washing the feet of his disciples. Even though he is about to become the sacrificial lamb who will liberate all humanity from sin. Again, it's this reminder of God's upside-down kingdom. For those who are liberated and victorious in Jesus, we are called to be humble and serve others. In God's upside-down kingdom, the newness that Jesus brings is that those who have power and authority actually relinquish that and they become humble and they serve. And the result of this is that those who are vulnerable in our society are actually empowered. And humility is not an instruction for us to have low self-esteem. Rather, it is to benefit others. It is a way of seeing others above ourselves. And we have an opportunity to start practicing in participating in this within our culture, within our community here. And we have an opportunity to, to seek out those who are lonely, an opportunity to, to serve others, whether that be within our classrooms, our workplaces, or within the social spheres that we operate in. We are called to be humble. Well, the final observation in this scene, I think, is actually a little bit more subtle. And I will point out a few points and I'll see if you pick it up. The first one is in verse 2. In verse 2, we see that the devil has already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. In verse 10, Jesus drops a sneaky hint that he knows that G Judas is going to betray him. And then in verse 12, Jesus finishes washing his disciples' feet. Did you see what's happened in that moment just then? 
Jesus washes all of the feet of the disciples. Which means that Jesus washes the dirty, smelly, soiled feet of the very man who would that very night betray him and actively participate in his death. If I were in Jesus' shoes, I would switch this situation around. I would first of all go up to Judas and be like, guys, I'm going to be betrayed, and it's Judas, see you later Judas, it's time to go, off you go. Right guys, now that he's gone, let me wash your feet. There is no way that I, in my human flesh, would choose to wash the feet of someone who is about to betray me to the point that it would cause my death. And yet Jesus bows down and washes the feet of Judas. And this act of servitude here, it, it, it cuts like a double-edged sword. On one edge, it's reminiscent of the cross. Where Jesus is being nailed to the cross by the Roman soldiers and he cries out for their forgiveness Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. No one is beyond the redemptive reach of Jesus. No one. And on the other edge of this sword, it sharpens passages like Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There is no condition or prejudice that is to be used when Jesus' disciples serve others, which can be really challenging when it comes to people who irritate us and people who hurt us, and people who betray our trust, to, to still serve them and love them in the way that Jesus is calling us to. However, we can find strength in these moments knowing that Jesus is at work in our lives as we do this. Well, God is on a redemptive mission. Now, through Jesus, God is making all things new. And he's heralding in his kingdom, inviting all to participate in his grand plans uh, to bring healing and to bring restoration and to bring renewal through the power of his Holy Spirit, which will reach completion when Jesus returns. As followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we are called to serve and to participate with obedience, 
with humility and with unconditional acts of love towards each other and towards others. And when we do this, when we do this empowered by the Holy Spirit, not only do we experience spiritual healing and spiritual growth and maturity within our own lives, through our actions, the whole world will see the gloriousness of God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you so much for your love, for your mercy and compassion that is expressed through Jesus. We thank you that through Jesus that you are making all things new. We thank you for the redemptive work that you have done and are doing in our lives and that you invite us to participate in bringing healing, restoration and renewal to this world. Lord, we ask that you help us to imitate Jesus' servanthood and by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be obedient, help us to be humble and help us to love others unconditionally. And we pray this in the name and in the power and in the authority of Jesus. Amen. As followers of Jesus, we are recipients of Jesus' obedience, humility, and unconditional love. But as followers of Jesus, we are also called to be obedient to him, especially in terms of cultural conventions, called to be humble, and called to love those around us as unconditionally as he loves us. The actions of Jesus here form a really critical part of our ethic as followers of Jesus. Is there someone you know who needs to hear this message too? If so, why not share it with them and see what God does through that. As always, we'd love to hear from you as you hear and respond to the invitation of God. You can find us on Facebook or visit our website at guymebaptist.org.au. May your eyes and ears be open and your heart soft to the invitation of the Spirit to join in God's renewing work in Jesus. God bless.